Good morning, church. It is a blessing and honor and God's amazing grace that allows us to be here today to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It is great to see each of you. And we thank God for your attendance, those who are in present, those who are online. We are thankful that you are here today. Let's go to God, please, together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and righteous, and hallowed be your great and amazing name. We grant unto you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. And we thank you for your great gift of love, for your mercy, for your patience, for your kindness, for your gentleness, for sending Jesus to live and to obey your will and to obey the will of the Godhead, to live a perfect life, to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. And this morning as we worship you, I pray, Lord God, that we will worship you in spirit and in truth, bringing glory and honor to your name. Please help our minds to be focused only on you. Rid our minds of worldly thought. And bless us, Lord God, to live our lives in such a way that always brings glory and honor to your name. These things we do ask and pray and thank you for in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if it be thy will. Amen. Hebrews chapter 3 this morning, when I find time, we've used that um, that phrase or that thought many times in our lives. When I find time, I'll do this and or I'll do that. There's an old um, fable. It tells uh, of David, the devil summoning his evil forces to consider how best to keep the world uh, in a lost state. To keep the world on his side. And it goes like this. One demon said, send me. I will tell them that there is no God. Satan replied, they will never believe you. Most of them know that there is a God. Another said, send me. I'll tell them there is no heaven or hell. Satan shook his head and said, that, that will never do. They know that there is a life after death. The third spoke and said, send me. I'll tell them there is a God, there is a heaven, and there is a hell, but there's no hurry to decide. You have time. Ah, said Satan with satisfaction, that is the best plan. And the fable goes, he's, he was sent out into all the world to spread this lie to all of humanity. You have time. Don't worry about it. So this morning's lesson, when I find time. How much time do we have to respond? Individually and personally, 
to the message of God. Not the message to the world, but that specific and direct message from God to me. Hebrews chapter 3, please. Beginning, if you will, at verse 12. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. Hebrews 4, in verse 7. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after long, so long a time, just as it has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Matthew 16. I want to show you in this lesson one of the ways that our hearts become hardened. And I'm going to show you in this lesson this morning the horror of time. In Matthew 16, some have said, well, I'm going to wait until God sends me a sign. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've said it. Matthew 16, beginning at verse 1. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearances of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the time? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. The sign of Jonah, Matthew 24. So for those of us who are waiting on a sign from God, a signal of some sort that says now is the time, I'm afraid to say that your time will never come. Because Jesus says there is no sign. Except for the sign of Jonah, which is an emphatic way of saying there is no sign. Matthew 25, 24 rather, in verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and one will be left. So then here's a question. 
we're going to turn to Acts 24. This lesson revolves around Felix. The question is this. How should I respond when the message of God touches my heart in some way? How should I respond when the word of God pricks my heart in some way? So Felix. And we'll talk about Felix maybe over the next couple of lessons. This morning I just want us to focus on this one thought. When I find the time. Acts 24 and verse 24. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. He heard this message that was more than a sermon. It was a meddling sermon. It dug deep into the heart of Felix and deep into the life of Felix. And Felix became frightened at the message of God And he asked Paul, or commanded Paul, to go away. And when I find time, I will summon you. Here's what Felix missed. He missed the opportunity to respond to God's call. To respond to the message of God that pricked his heart. Verse 26. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. And I want you to realize the transition between verse 24 and 25 and verse 26. 24 25 tells us about the message and gives us a bit of an idea of the content of the message. It gives us the heartfelt emotion of Felix regarding the message from God sent directly to Felix. 26 gives us a little bit of time. And in that time, let me tell you, when you read the verse, you realize something. Felix's heart never becomes frightened again. That feeling, that that understanding... That he was condemned for the way that he lived his life. We'll talk about that in a few sermons. He never reached repentance again. His heart never trembled at the word of God again. That moment is gone forever. That's sad. That's sad. He dismissed, justified his lifestyle and his heart became hardened. That's the horror of time. If we hear the word of God and we allow it to pass us by and we do not 
make the proper application to our lives. Time. Time will take away that feeling, that understanding, that that repentive heart that would have been there. Time will erase it all. Turn please to Luke chapter 12. He conversed with Paul. He had several meetings hoping that Paul would bring him some money. But the idea of the heart being pricked is no more. The understanding about his sin is no more. The recognition of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is no more. Time has taken it away. Satan has tricked so many of us into believing that we have plenty of time. Luke 12 in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, God, I I want to do things right. Turn to Psalm 39, please. I want to do things right, and I want to be a a better person, and I want to grow in in maturity in a spiritual way. Lord, when I find the time, I I will do that. In fact, I remember thinking to myself, when I get older, you know, only old people go to church. (laughs) I mean, that's not true, but, you know, because their time is almost, and yet, how many times you fail to look around and, People of all ages are dying. When I find the time, Psalm 39 in verse 4, the Lord will make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as hand breaths, and my lifetime as nothing in thy sight. Surely every man is at his best. Is a mere breath. In other words, we don't know the end of our days, do we? We do not know. Turn to James, please. We do not know when our time will expire, when God will call us home. And yet, though we do not know, how many times have we said, Dear God, when I find the time. When I find the time. James 4 and verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while 
and then vanishes away. God is telling us there's no more time. You might say, well, preacher, I mean, come on. We're here today, right? And if we're here today, then yesterday was here, and there is time. Once a year, and this is unfortunate, but once a year the world comes together and says, let's celebrate the, the Lord's Supper. We do this every first day of the week, brethren. And I want to explain to you, if you will, just quickly why we do this every first day of the week. Well, let me just say it in this way. It is a reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that. We have very short memories, right? As humans, we, we easily forget things. It, it is a public proclamation uh, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and he's coming back, right? He rose, and he's coming back, and he's coming back to claim his own. It's a reminder of the fact that, that one day all of us are going to die. Whatever day that might be. But I want you to notice what's really important here. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. It is prepared and eaten in haste. Now this is really important. Because what the public proclamation reveals to us every first day of the week is this. There is no more time. You see, that bread that you ate that's unleavened, it didn't have time to rise. Because there is no more time. And one day, at the blink of an eye, if you will, Jesus Christ is going to be here. And it's over. It's over. God is reminding us. Think about this. God is reminding his people every first day of the week, There's no more time. Exodus 12, it began right here in verse 11. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. There is no more time. A lot of folks are going to die today. Don't know who they are. Saddened for their families. We send our condolences to the struggles that come our way. It's always a surprise. There is no more time. All we have, brethren, is right now. That's it. We don't have tomorrow. We've made plans, I know, but we... We don't have tomorrow. Like in the days of Jonah, who would ever thought? That's it. There is no more time. And this morning, I, I, I hope that each of us will ponder Felix's response. When I find the time, I will summon you. How busy is my life? I just, I just can't find time for God. You ever thought like this? You know, I'm, I'm in college right now and I'm so busy. When I find, when I find more time, you know, the children have so many activities. We're running from here to there, et cetera, et cetera. And when I find, when I find the time, 
My favorite show's coming on today. I just don't have the time. I, I have so many things to do when I find the time. When I'm older, I'll have more time and then, and then I'll find the time for Jesus in my life. How many of us will leave here today and forget about everything you heard and everything you've done? And lose it in a matter of time. Acts 26. Brethren, we know that this is not true. We know that in reality, there's never really the right time. I mean, you know, there's just so much to do. And I've, I've found this, that as I've spoken to more folks who are retired, they seem to say they work harder in retirement than they worked on their jobs. When I find the time, Acts twenty six twenty six. For the king knows about these matters. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. This is Paul talking to Agrippa. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. In other words, Agrippa said, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Brethren, almost is not good enough. Almost persuadest thou me. I am almost there. God will give me time. Right, God will give me time to get there, won't he? Hebrews chapter 2, please. When I find the time. You know, it's, 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 it's critical that we heed the warnings of God. That we heed the warning, the personal warning of God to you, to me individually. We could say collectively. But I need to heed the warning of God that's given to me today. Hebrews 2 verse 1, For this reason we must pay a much closer attention to what we have heard, lest time gets a hold of us, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, after it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard God also bearing witness with them by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. We have to pay a much closer attention. You know, when our, when our bodies ache, it's a warning. Something's wrong. And if we go out and we go to the doctor and they give us medication, pain medication, to dull our senses, that doesn't fix the problem. It just dulls the senses. If the, the dashboard in our vehicles or our instrument panel, uh, you know, an airplane or whatever, if you think about this for a moment, when that warning light comes on, if, if you just ignore it, the problem doesn't just go away. It, it just It just dulls the senses, if you will. When the warning light in my head goes off and says, Tony, you need to repent. Tony, you've just sinned. Tony, you are in violation of the word of God. 
If you let that slip by and do not respond appropriately, immediately, you could destroy your soul. Just like your car, you could destroy your engine. To find time, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Chapter 5, rather. To find time for God, we must seize every opportunity. As Christians, we, we should be sure to allow the Lord to speak to us every day. And when God talks to you, you better listen. And when, and when your heart is pricked, don't just walk away from that moment. Surrender. Surrender to Jesus. And don't deflect. Surrender to Jesus. Repent and allow God to strengthen you and renew you. In Ephesians 5 and verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil so then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is and it is your repentance it is our surrender tomorrow may not come first chronicles please chapter 13 i know some of us struggle to make it online struggle to uh, come in attendance to worship god and Thank God you made it. But you gotta make some changes. Because God has to become number one. It should be more of a struggle to participate in worldly activity than a struggle to participate in worship to God. Brethren, friends, maybe things are consuming our time. Maybe it's the wrong stuff. You know, maybe I watch, you know, I, I don't know about you, I, you know, I, sometimes I say, I used to say this all the time, I used to say, we're going to put cameras in the church building. And the cameras are going to be front, in the pro, right up here in the podium or in the front area. And we're going to, we're going to face them out at the audience and we're going to let them play and record every, every worship. And, and this is not to spy on you. This is for you to go back and look at it later and see how much activity goes on in the worship service. And then to ask yourself, well, am I, have I been, I wasn't really focused. I remember I was, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was looking, I had to look at, I got this message on my phone. I was reading, I was, I was paying attention, I was reading the scripture, and the message popped up on my phone, cause, because it wasn't on airplane mode, and I just, I just, yeah, I read the message, and I got, and I chuckled, because it was kind of funny, and then I, you're in worship. When I find time, I'll make those changes. I, I don't know that we should be reminded every week to turn our cell phones off. I'm not going to remind you. It's worship. This is not my time. This is God's time. This is not about me. And we live in an all about me society, but this is not about me. It's God's time. Thank you, God, for this time. For this opportunity to worship the creator of the world. Wow. The creator of the universe. Right now. This is God's time. Thank you God for that. This isn't my time. 
You say, but preacher, I'm I'm upset today. I'm angry at God because. That doesn't change the fact that this is God's time. It doesn't change anything. Let me give you an example. First Chronicles, uh, chapter uh, 13, beginning of verse 5. Here's David. They're going to transport the ark of God, but they transport it in sin. Let me show you. Verse 5. So David assembled all Israel together from the Shihor of Egypt, even to the entrance of Hamath, to bring the ark of God to Kiroth-Jerim. David and all Israel went up to Baalah, that is, to Kiroth-Jerim, which belongs to Judah, to bring up the ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned above the cherubim, where his name is is called. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Amminadab and Uzzah and Io and drove the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, even with songs and with lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly upset it And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. Just hang on for a second. You know, know, David could say, God, we were, our worship was great. I mean, we were praising you, Lord. Everyone felt good. We were in the spirit, and God, you had to ruin it by killing Uzzah. You know, folks, right? Oh, worship was wonderful. I was so, I was so emotionally driven. We did this. We raised our hand. We were excited. We were dancing. We were, yeah. Doesn't mean that's what God wants. But God, we, we, we were celebrating because we had this new cart that we were carrying the ark on and, and it was great. It was beautiful. We loved it. It looked wonderful to us. But it didn't look wonderful to God. It was constructed in sin. Verse 12. And David was afraid of God. I want to go back to verse 11. I don't want to miss this point. Then David became angry because of the Lord's outburst. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ever, you ever met anyone like that? You ever talk to someone who's angry at God? You, you met, you met folks. Maybe you've been there. Why are you angry at God? God is good. All the time. God never does wrong. God is always right. But David was angry at God because God struck us dead when God gave the specific command not to touch that thing. Unless you're from the priest, the Korathites. But he was doing a good deed for God, wasn't he? You ever done that before? You ever done a good deed for God? Now God owes us? <laughs> I know. 
So David became angry, verse 11, became angry before, uh, uh, angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and he called that place Paris Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? Do it God's way. That's how you get it home. You want to know how we get home? Do it God's way. You want to know what our worship has to be like? Do it God's way and we get to go home. If it's not God's way, we aren't going to make it. None of us. It has to be God's way. Let me say it again. It is not about us. I know we don't learn that in school today and we don't learn that in many places today. But life isn't about us. I thought it was. Man, I had a great life. I was living outside of Christ and I was living it up until I realized life is not about me. Remember saying, when I find time, I'm going to read that Bible. Today's not the day, though. And I kept putting it off and putting it off. Thank God he let me live through. I could have died out there. You ever thought about that? I could have died lost because I didn't have time for God. David was angry. But thank God his anger turned to fear. The fear of the Lord the trembling fear of the Lord, and that David did not dismiss what God taught him. So in chapter 15, verses 1 and verse 2. Now David built houses for himself in the city of David. He prepared a place for the ark of God. And pitched a tent for it. And then David said, No one else is to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. See, what they did was they put the ark the way God said to put it. They made it the way God said to make it. The rings were there for a purpose. He transformed his life and his world to conform to God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but it's it's the fool, you see. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1 verse 7 tells us that. And Jesus, Matthew 10 and verse 28, Jesus says to us regarding God himself, he says, look, when you think about fear, don't be afraid of man who can kill your body. Matthew ten twenty eight. Don't fear man who can kill the body but unable to kill the soul. I'll tell you who to fear. But rather fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell, right? The soul and the body. Your soul. Exodus 20, I'm I'm about to let you go. I don't want to keep you too long, but I appreciate your attention this morning. So here's what Felix, you know this lesson is all about Felix, right? So here's what Felix should have done. What Felix should have done is allowed his heart to surrender because he was terrified, frightened when he heard that Paul was preaching 
about Him. Felix, are you living your life in righteousness, self-control, and are you considering the judgment of God? No, he hadn't been doing that. We'll talk more about that next week. So maybe your warning signs going off this morning. I don't know. Maybe there's a warning. Maybe there's a flashing signal that's saying, wake up. Turn your life around. What are you going to do about that? Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and when the people saw it they trembled and stood at a distance then they said to Moses speak to us yourself and we will listen but let not God speak to us lest we die Moses said to the people here's what I want you to get brethren do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you And in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So when people ask the question, should I be afraid of God? The answer is, well, of course not. As long as you don't have sin. But if you have sin in your life, you better fear. That's a warning light. So how do you fix that? Surrender. Repent. When you find that you've sinned, repent. Ask for forgiveness right away. Make it right with God. If you're not in Christ, come to God. Surrender to Him in the waters of baptism, hearing His word and believing it. Being willing to repent of godly sorrow. Confess His name before men. Be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. That's how you fix it. If you're a child of God and you're struggling in your faith and you're not living the way God wants you to, the way you fix it is... You repent. And our information is on the board, but I have one more scripture to go to. And then I'm going to let you go. What do you do with that? Do you say, thank you for the information when I find time? Or do we respond quickly? Genesis chapter 19. See, I I, want to say this. Just in closing, that God's word is designed to prick our hearts. It's designed to make us better. It's designed to, to turn us from, from what's destroying us, right? Humanity, even, even my own soul. And the question is, am I paying attention to what I'm reading or to what I'm hearing from the word of God? And, and many have ignored the warnings of God. I've ignored. I remember. Ignoring God's warnings over and over again. I ignored them. And then how many times have you been through something and you, you realize it's God. And you're so thankful and then you forget to thank Him for it. For bringing you through it or bringing you to it. Just kind of forgetting God altogether, right? Let me just say this in closing. Spirituality in a relationship with God is not a game. It's real. 
There are some in Christ, and there are some out of Christ. And it's real. In Genesis 19, in verse 14, the angels came, and they warned Lot and his family. And they said, you have to get out of this place because God is going to destroy it. But there are two young men who thought it was a joke. Just a game. And they perished. Verse 14. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. And when morning dawned, And the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of this city. And they died. Because to them, it was just a joke. This morning, I know you're not taking it that way. But just remember... Spirituality is not a joke. Today could be the end. Are you ready? God bless you. Thank you so very much for your time this morning. May the Lord God of the heavens and the earth add a blessing to the hearing and the reading of his holy and divine word. In a moment we'll sing a song of invitation.